Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am TJ Van Toll, and with me today, I have Giuseppe Gugone, which hopefully I pronounced all right. Giuseppe, welcome to React Roundup. Why don't you start by telling us who you are, what you do, why you're famous, all that good sort of stuff. Thank you, TJ. Thanks for having me. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Giuseppe. I'm an independent web engineer right now. I love to work on uh, developer experience, infrastructure, writing CSS and JavaScript, advocating, advocating for accessibility and working on open source. I've been core maintainer of Suite CSS, co-author of Vercel style J6 and other CSS and JS libraries. And I'm excited to be here with you to talk about React Native for Web today and future HTML and CSS. Yeah. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, and I know we want to get into a few different things today, but let's start with React Native Web, because I know you have some background there and you, you've written about it. And maybe you could start by just laying out for people, what is React Native Web? What does it do? What problem does it try to solve for you? Yeah, so React Native for Web is a implementation of the React Native APIs for uh, the browser. So essentially, in... Uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, Nicholas Gallagher, who is the, by the way, creator of uh, Normalized CSS and other popular open source projects, um, started this project with the intent to implement a library for React that would allow to use the same API and, and had com compatibility with the React Native APIs so that you could use the same abstraction but for building for the web. This way, you could essentially have an application that will be written once, possibly, and then be cross-platform. So the goal of React Native for Web is to allow you to write the same React Native that you write for iOS and Android, but this time also for the web. And yeah, and that's essentially the how it started. And it actually started because Nicholas was working at Twitter back then, and they they started this process of uh, rewriting the mobile version of uh, Twitter.com. And over time, the project uh, grew. And nowadays, uh, the framework is used for uh, the entire Twitter web properties. Yeah, I was honestly really surprised when that happened because I had had some background in the sort of cross-platform frameworks, right? The you write once and it goes to, to mobile and the web and such. And when I used those types of approaches before, the web one was always like 
some it spit out some junk that you were just happy that it worked right like it it was like yeah. a compromised version of it and so when i saw that twitter was actually deploying their live website with this sort of approach it it just straight up shocked me not only they, that they were doing this but that also it was quite good like the the you know i went in expecting like oh this is going to be a janky experience but it's actually incredibly good like the mobile mobile twitter website especially is i think one of the best mo- examples of what the mobile web can do out there so i i just remember that like shocking me that that sort of thing is possible to be built with that sort of architecture right yeah the the goal i i, I believe was to to build a, a very fast application that would be is a very uh, good on mobile like uh, mobile friendly with all the in interaction and touch capabilities that um, you would expect from mobile applications still build a pwa basically a, a progressive web application that could be installed and would work offline i mean obviously would render offline well you get to some degree offline support uh, normally uh, obviously twitter is a real-time application so you gotta be online to to get fresh content uh, all the time but yeah otherwise yeah and so that from the beginning i i'm i'm pretty sure the the goal was to optimize for performance for quality in terms of app so because that's basically we're competing with native right and i believe that Twitter doesn't want, uh, specifically doesn't want to compete with Android and uh, iOS clients, but still we managed to provide a high uh, quality application. Yeah, it's, it is it is sort of fascinating to me. And maybe we could dive a little bit deeper into when you say like mobile specific stuff, like can you get into some details? Like what does React Native Web do for you that like say, you know, your basic HTML and DOM primitives would not Right. First of all, the DOM APIs um, surface is massive. A lot of uh, APIs, there are different vendors, uh, which is probably uh, the the most important thing to keep in mind. And with vendors, uh, if you worked in this space for a while, you learned the hard way probably that sometimes there are inconsistencies or lack of uh, feature parity, which it's probably something we don't talk too often about. But for me, the, the as a developer, I really wish uh, feature parity was a thing. So coordinated release of new API. And there is Chrome, sometimes amazing new uh, cutting edge APIs and other trying to catch up. Sometimes it's Firefox, sometimes it's Safari, rarely. But yeah, so in that sense, React Native for web, tries to reduce the, the API um, to very few uh, primitives that are, basically, uh, this is a work that already React Native did. So they did this work uh, and came up with a, a very small set of primitives. There are essentially a text component, a view component that is used for a layout, an image component, an attachable components for interactions, which is at the same time, mobile, keyboard, and mouse. So it works in a variety of uh, environments and with different input devices. So React Native for Web basically took advantage of all the research that was done in mobile with React Native, and that was proven to be working for those other platforms. 
to then bring those uh, findings to the web. And essentially, you have a foundation of very robust and touch-friendly uh, APIs that would work out of the box. Yeah, it's funny because in a way, Android and iOS had a big advantage on the web when it comes to touch stuff, because if you think about it, the UI components for those platforms were built with touches like the use case. Like exactly. that's that's all they had to do. So of course they were gonna make them really well optimized for that because that's, that's the whole reason they were building them. Right. Whereas the web, you have this platform that was invented to like show web pages in the the nineties that has been yeah. slowly evolved. And then touch had to be like bolted on top, like browsers would basically at the start, browsers would like emulate, like when you touch the screen, the browser would essentially fire mouse events because that's the only way because they they just wanted it to work. Exactly. And so I feel like we're still and like, you know, touch touch devices have been out there for a long time, but Mm -hmm. I still feel like the current set of events out there is an absolute mess there's yeah there's still mouse events you have to worry about there are touch events touch events are like non-standard and handled differently there's pointer events which actually i'm not totally sure what the state of those are if those were just abandoned or if those are they're actually a thing and they're really good and it's something that you can i think rely on nowadays but still it took quite a while to get where we are today and there's still a lot of catch up to do with native. For as you mentioned, gestures are often built in in, in other platforms, uh, at least APIs for for working with that kind of stuff. React Native has uh, this concept of a responder. Uh, there there is a whole category of things that the web initially wasn't meant to to have, and like that access to also APIs. Inter- that allowed you to interact with the OS in different ways. And so the, the web obviously is a open platform. It moves slow. It takes time. And it wasn't born for that. It was born in an era when that there was no such thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this this might be a good segue to the topic of your article. So you, you wrote an article that I'm going to link in the show notes about Twitter's div soup and uglified CSS. Yeah. And I, the, the background behind this is is kind of fun because I, I'm I'm certainly have noticed this as well. But if anybody ever views sources on Twitter.com, the, the web version of Twitter and looks around, you will probably be like, if you're like an old school web developer like I am, your first reaction is like, oh, oh God, how did they, what are they doing here? What are they, what are they building? Because there are divs everywhere. It's like divs with like ARIA attributes. To, so it's accessible, it's, but it's like with ARIA attributes, it's, but it's a whole bunch of divs. It's a whole bunch of CSS class names, like everywhere, lots of them. And so your initial reaction, I think like for most developers is like, oh, what is Twitter doing here? Right? Like this is, this is a hot mess. And so your article is about explaining this. So maybe you could like just sort of lay out like why does why does Twitter's markup look look this way at a high level? Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, I, I'm I'm old school developer as well. I've been working on, on the web for more than a decade. And my the reason why I, first of all, the, uh, I just want to explain why I wrote that that article, and, and and that is because 
I, I spent sometimes uh, understanding and re- even React Native Web and looking at the Twitter.com source code, reverse engineering it, and trying to figure out what it is like it is right now. And, and I felt like I had kind of some insight that I wanted to share, but I would find myself trying to do that every time I, I would see a tweet where uh, some, somebody complained about this <laughs> stuff. And, and, you know, on Twitter, it's really hard to have a real conversation with, with people. One tweet uh, easily become a tree of many threads where, where your replies get lost or you don't manage to get your point through and or simply the 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 the, the original post that get too many re- reactions that uh, the author just muted and it, yep. and, and then this thing repeats over and over again and and essentially there is a, a an awesome gif i found on, around where there's this guy who's trying to to wipe the sea back to the sea, like it never ends because yeah. you know the, the water keeps coming to you, and that's where I figured, well, maybe I'll just write what I know, and that's what I did. And so, what essentially what I, what, what I explained that is like, yeah, no big deal. Well, it's, it's not a mystery that Twitter is recognitive for web. At least it wasn't for me, but probably many uh, didn't realize that yet. And and explain uh, explain the why of when you inspect the page, you you see what you you see there. Like maybe there were uh, the author of the framework made some unconventional, controversial choices, and and it all start again from uh, React Native trying to then be compiled to uh, platform code. That's the the HTML and CSS for us. So what you see is um, a compiled code that uh, in fact instead was authored with React Native Web, where you get those primitives, so you use text. Whenever you need to write some text, that would be a paragraph, and then eddings, and anything that really is a text. And a view that is essentially uh, for layout. It's in React Native, it's based, it uses uh, Flexbox, because uh, React Native doesn't support grid yet. And then the other components uh, are image, just, you know, whenever you, you need to display an image and touchable for, uh, as I said earlier, for interaction, touch buttons and all that. So those components in, in, pre- uh, in order to, to implement the behaviors of touchable functional components that are both, that work with different input devices are essentially re-implemented from scratch using mostly these uh, with proper, uh, which come all, then with baked-in uh, accessibility and all the behaviors necessary to make them truly accessible. And, and this is not something that was done just for the sake of, or it was just because you could either do a job where you try to build on top of existing primitives and trying to normalize, re- remove quirks and had functionality to the, this, often probably fighting against the default implementation, or you just start with a, like a blank and you build it from scratch. You invest a lot of time on doing that, but once you get it right, then you have a very solid implementation. Yeah, I feel like sometimes 
as web developers, we get a little hung up on like we feel like our view source should be like super polished, right? And and look yeah. great. Where at the end of the day, that doesn't re- like the things that matter are things like developer experience. So like you said, like the developers are not using this isn't what their source code looks like. This is yeah. basically compiled into it. So the developer experience is still fine. And then the user's experience. And I mean, exactly. the users, the users don't care what your source looks like. And as long as it's ex- accessible and a lot of work has been put in to make sure that it is, then really the at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't really matter. And I, I almost feel mm-hmm. like as web developers, we kind of somewhat have to get away from that because it's not like iOS and Android developers care about the like compiled uh, you know, <laughs> compiled C code that comes out and drives their apps. Like, no, it, at the end of the day, it's how good the app functions and performs that matters. Right. Yeah. So in my uh, scale of priorities, first comes uh, user experience often. Uh, well, always, I would say. And so I would do whatever it takes to <laughs> provide the best user experience. And if my HTML is kind of cryptic in the end, that that's fine, I guess. As soon as, of course, you can, you compensate that with a great developer experience, as like you said, because it has to be in order for you to to move fast and build quality things. You gotta have also the right tools, and that's what, in the end, also the framework provides. And I think that's a good way of framing it, and I I think it seems to be at least in my experience true for this library because. Like I said, and I'd encourage if you're if you're listening to this right now, just head to Twitter's mobile website and try it out. Because I think you'll be pretty impressed by how snappy it is. I, I, I've always been especially impressed by the scrolling handling on the mobile Twitter site, because like scrolling on the mobile web is like my personal biggest pet peeve. Like almost nobody does it right because it's really, really hard to do. And the implementation in Twitter with React Native Web is is quite good. Like you can right. go to Twitter on your phone, start scrolling, and it's it's not quite as smooth as native, but it's really close and it's it's really well implemented. And you could tell a lot of care and time and effort went into it. Right. I, I think they, they put a lot of uh, work into that. I, I'm not sure if it's full completely custom implementation, but I know for sure that React Native and React Native Web, I believe, come with a um, scroll view uh, component that comes already with uh, virtualization and built-in and virtualization for the ones who are not familiar with the technique is this process of rendering just what you see on screen and a few, a little bit above and uh, below. And so that your, as you said, scroll experience is very smooth. And this is normally used when there is a lot of content. Imagine hundreds, thousands of tweets or uh, table rows or something like that. Yeah, this is another case where I feel like, to me, one of the bigger reasons that people think native apps are quote unquote better is because it just has better primitives for this. Like mm-hmm. on yeah. iOS or Android, you have UI table view on iOS. You have, right. I think it's android.widget.something for for doing this. For like you, it's just this pre-built-in component that you just use, and like your scrolling is just good because the platform has a thing that right. makes it good. Whereas on the web, you need to know that something like this exists and to use it. And even then, it's hard to get quite as good as native because it's not built into the browser. It's just some right. like user land JavaScript that has to make it happen, and that's 
can be good, but it still struggles to compete with what native can do. Right. I mean, uh, the web platform call hooks, like, um, I believe I've done work and they care about those things too. It's just there's a lot to catch up with in native, right? Uh, I've heard that, if I'm not mistaken, at some point I heard, I read actually a few conversations around building a virtualized list component for the web. There are a lot of, obviously, it's quite complex piece of UI. And uh, there are a lot of, yeah, complications when building it, searching and stuff. But um, yeah, and there is a lot of work in coordinating this work in an open, massive platform is also really hard. The advantage of a native platform is that they are proprietary closed sometimes, and they can just do what they think is best for that sort of brings up another question for me, because since I think React Native Web is one of the better solutions for making things more, I guess, like touch friendly or building apps that are more mobile friendly, it I'm curious why it isn't more used or if you have any opinions or theories about that. Mm-hmm. Not that it's like unpopular. I mean, I, I had heard of it before this, but it's not it's not something you hear like as a common thing that people are using. Like off the top of my head, I couldn't name another like major uh, site or anything built using that. And there's a whole lot of sites. I know a whole lot of bad mobile websites out there, things that could benefit from this. So I'm curious why you don't think more people have sort of got on board with this sort of approach. Yeah. So first of all, uh, React Native for Web is not, not, it's probably not a good option for every type of website. It works great for applications like Twitter, where you probably render a shell and then you do a lot of rendering on the client side. The C- the CSS solution that comes with it is not from that server side responsive uh, web responsive web design friendly uh, because there is no concept of media queries. There is no concept of pseudo elements, uh, pseudo or st- uh, the state like hover, uh, focus and all that. And so uh, styling is basically a function of state. So a little bit like inline styles. And in general, the uh, approach, the, the, the way how you build a React native application is slightly different from uh, the web. It's, uh, you have way less freedom in what you do, you can use way less uh, DOM APIs, which still React Native for Web allows you to do because you can write so uh, platform code in, in a way for the web if you really need to use any web-specific API. But in a way, you kind of have to re- reconsider a bit uh, what you've learned in the past in many areas, and that could be probably had a little bit of friction and and many people say like why would I need that um, while still at first don't know what how it works what I'm not familiar with the library itself and and at the same time I have, I'm limited in these days and this you know. time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software and our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. 
Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified, with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Yes, it seems like you you kind of have like being touch-friendly has to be a big enough problem for you that you need something a little more involved like this. Like I'm guessing your average like company that's just got like a mobile website has it, it's way overkill, right? Because it's like there's just to make a few links and buttons work a bit better. It's not really worth the hassle. But imagine anything that has like a lot of interactivity, like people are like you said, I liked a bit too about you're kind of rendering a shell and then the clients doing a whole bunch of work. And there's a lot of interactivity, mm-hmm. something that's like more like a native app, honestly. Yeah. Um, those types of things seem like the ones that could benefit from this sort and, of approach. Yeah, and, and React Native for Web can still be rendered on on the server. It, it, it doesn't have to be fully client-side. But um, there are some features, like I mentioned. There's no uh, concept of media queries, responsive. Uh, it's a tricky one uh, because, uh, obviously, on the server, you have no means to uh, know what is the viewport of the current uh, visitor. And that could be a, a little bit of an issue. But otherwise, yeah, as in you, it's, it's a stricter framework. And therefore, people often probably feel a bit uh, restricted of what they think they can do. But in the long term, uh, probably having uh, fewer choices and a set of good APIs makes it for a better, uh, higher quality application. The problem is, in those cases, it's really hard until you have experience it. And that's probably the reason why it's not as popular as it could or should. Yeah, you sort of have to feel the pain of it before yeah. you. Or, or maybe and sometimes you, you don't realize that there could be a way that makes it for a more maintainable and cohesive. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wonder too if some of it is that people think React Native Web means like you have to be building an iOS or Android app. Exactly. Too. Like I almost wonder if the naming somewhat holds it back. Yeah, there's that too. And, and Nicholas, the, the original author, keeps repeating this, that Fox, you keep in mind that uh, Twitter.com is not meant to replace the iOS and Android clients. It's just using that framework because the API is so good that made us so productive and now we can ship my, uh, we can iterate faster, we can build new stuff and preserve a very good de- degree of, you know, quality. And, but yeah, the, the fact that it's React Native for web, and then it's like, I'm writing a web <laughs> code with React Native APIs, but it's not native or something like that. Yeah, we should suggest a rebrand. So right now, right now, yeah, <laughs> recently, like a few months ago, Nicholas uh, created an official Twitter account for React Native for Web, and now uh, calling it React Web. So okay. who knows over time if this drop will it, be rebranded? Yeah, 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 drop them. Cool. 
One other thing I want to poke your brain about, because I know you've done a lot of work into sort of just server side stuff. I I know you have a background in a number of those different Mm -hmm. types of frameworks. And I know that we've had conversations on this this podcast with a number of different guests, because one sort of trend I'm seeing in the front end world is that the the Mm -hmm. barrier between like what is client side and what is server side is getting kind of complicated. It Mm -hmm. like React used to be like, oh, you would just your React app is just a client-side app and you throw it on some server somewhere and then you're good to go. And nowadays there's there's Next, there's React server components, Remix at the time we're recording this is newly uh, free for everybody to use. So I'll start by just asking you like a sort of open-ended question. Like what's, are, are you seeing that sort of trend? Like where where do you stand on this this sort of tech and how things are laid out today? So yeah, initially when when we when React came out, probably we were at the time where we were doing a mix of either fully client side MVC rendered applications, or all school like server side rendering with uh, progressive and then enhanced sometimes not even enhanced, just a bit of jQuery on top of that and yep. imperative uh, changes and uh, you know. Uh, mutation and basically adding behavior with JavaScript. So React came out and uh, back then, essentially Twitter, uh, sorry, Facebook for a long while wasn't, server-side rendering for them wasn't a, uh, a, a need, right? So they provided us with APIs to do server-side rendering. But the story really was like, okay, People figured we have this new thing. It's really good. Uh, we are in this navigating this trend of uh, you know render client, uh, you know MVC and rendering on the client. React is much better. It's just view, you know, take data and render your UI and make. It, it's an awesome. It's an awesome uh, evolution uh, if you think about that. But for a long time, we just focused on client side right? like you know an empty page uh, with just a link tags title and a script that was link- linking to the bundle of our application this probably also because the uh, the the first tool that came out in this space was create create react app which was never supported a service i rendered I don't know if it does at this point, but probably I don't think not. It does. Not out of the box, I don't no. think so. And so this was the major uh, like uh, scaffolding tool that we got, and 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 it also happened to be become the most popular. And then uh, next came into play, right? And I think it was uh, around 2015, 16, I don't remember exactly, but essentially uh, Guillermo and a few other people from uh, Vercel, open source Next.js, which was the server-side rendering framework that they used to build their own website. And and over time, this became so popular because server-side rendering came out of the box. And the good thing about server-side rendering is that obviously you cannot float a lot of work to the server and then just do uh, interaction and, and Take it from there and take your app, um, make your app inter- interactive. So basically, next it was a huge step forward. The only difference is that 
we were still, because of how React is built, basically booting up, downloading, and restarting uh, the app on the client, right? So yeah. hydrating everything. And so even if the page rendered on the server and we could send immediately something to the user, we're still left with this big uh, JavaScript bundle on the client. And, and there's been a lot of effort now to kind of try to rebalance those, uh, the, those two and offload a lot of this work to the server like he's always meant to be. And this is starting to be being possible thanks to React Server components, which essentially takes care of rendering the static parts on the server and not ending up in the client bundle. So you, you end up with this separation like in the old days where we were rendering mostly on the server and the client was only the interactive parts. So I'm curious too, because I, so React Server components, I think they announced them basically like around this time last year, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And I remember, I remember playing with them and being very confused. Um, (laughs) so I'm curious if, if you've toyed, if you've toyed with them, have you found like the APIs to be like, okay. So I, I should say I was confused, but I think at the level they were at, especially at that time, they were really intended for libraries to like build around and do something interesting with. So I don't mm-hmm. think they were necessarily supposed to be super developer facing right. and such. So I'll, I'll offer that as a caveat. But it, I still like looked at them and went like, man, it's there's somebody's going to be building something smart on top of this if it's going to be like a building block that many people are going to want to use. So right. I, I'm curious your experience with them and what you thought. Right. It, I, you're totally right that uh, they're intended the uh, meta framework to uh, provide, to come up with uh, the integration, uh, right? To offer, uh, to integrate server component so that you as a consumer just need to use them, essentially. So the setup uh, indeed could be quite complicated because you need to work with bundlers and uh, uh, make this distinction between server and clients and make sure that everything works well together. So yeah, I think the initial plan and the plan for a while will be that you as a developer will use server component through an existing framework like Next.js, probably Remix, uh, I don't know, either other framework like Gatsby if they are planning on supporting those. And just to explain to probably the listener that are not that familiar with this is the idea is that you have uh, two different, three, well, three different types of components. One that are only meant to run on the server. So they render in a node environment. And those have a dot server, dot JS or extension. And so that code cannot have state, context, anything. Well, state maybe, uh, but, but effect, uh, no use, use effect, no use layout effect. And they are not interactive. So that's static code uh, that gets rendered on server. Then there are pure clients components that are only rendered on the clients. And then there are ones that are rendered on the server, but then they are also enhanced on the client. And those are the client components. And so you yeah. use a little bit of both trying to to you know distribute your application wisely. And I think one of the more compelling reasons I saw is 
like on the client, we're constantly concerned about bundle size and such. So you take like a date parsing library, like yeah. moment was popular for a while and then it got some backlash because it was big and people yeah. came out with some lightweight alternatives to it. But if your date parsing logic lived on the server, because there's no reason you necessarily have to parse dates on the client. So sure. if you put all that stuff on the server, well then, hey, it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it matters a whole lot less how big your yeah. date parsing library is because, well, it's on the server and the server has it loaded into memory. Right. And so it's never going to, yeah, it's never going to make it to the client. So, yeah, so it's, it's kind of exciting. So, and like, I'm guessing in theory, React will sort of reconcile all of the complexity so that you don't have to worry about, because it, like some of it, like to me sounds like a bit of a debugging hell too, because at least like with Next, Next is pretty smart about like, okay, you have your log of your server stuff and you have your log of like your client stuff. But man, like when it's, if it really does become like different chunks of my apps are rendered in different ways, like mm -hmm. I could see that becoming uh, fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the good thing is that uh, you said you like the next way and definitely Next is going to provide a, an integration that a server component will work out of the box there. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to come up with something that is as good, if not probably better. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 it could get tricky. Would you recommend people start to like look into this stuff or is this very much like uh, just sort of be aware, but wait, wait and see sort of thing? So right now, I, it's not me, like you, you can tell from Next only having support for server component experimental in an experimental mode. So you have to explicitly enable them. It's an experimental flag and you gotta use, I think, React 18, which is still in beta or alpha. So if you want to play with it, it's fine. I think probably you, even if you wanted, you couldn't use them in production already, I think. Yeah. But but the concept itself, it's quite simple. Like, again, you have the separation of server and client. And you just, the way how you do that, the separation is just using different extensions like .server.js or .client.js. So if you want to try it with Next, I'm pretty sure it's already possible. Um, and otherwise, I'm not sure of other... Uh, framework, except for the sample uh, demo app that they released last year with a blog post. Yeah, the sense I got is like, unless you're an engineer, like at Facebook or at Vercel, <laughs> like if you're working on one of these libraries, you probably do want to dig into this. Um, yeah. Maybe if like this is you work on some sort of enormous app and this is like a huge problem for you, like you're you're like if you're working on a Facebook.com sort of app where like every millisecond matters, then maybe these sort of optimizations are for you. But I, I think for the average person, just we can wait, wait and see what happens and, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, there it feels like people should jump right in on whatever comes out. Uh, every week or so, or every few months. Uh, that's in fact not how you're supposed to to, to approach those things. So like, I mean, uh, being curious is great, but yeah. you don't feel the pressure to like having to write everything as soon as something is up. And and I'm pretty sure that again, as a user, you can just try it and play with it, and it's 
super easy if you use next with this experimental uh, flag turned on or and you can find the uh, instruction in the docs or the demo up from uh, Facebook. Yeah, it's a good way of phrasing it. There's a big difference between like just toying with it in yeah. a you know, few free hours versus like considering moving your production infrastructure. Right. Also, because, because you know, you got to uh, first get, uh, you know, acquainted to the new uh, paradigms and really think it through before you just like, start executing, uh, myself included, right? Uh, if you ask me right now, obviously, I know how to use server component, but I will have to put some um, thoughts into how, you know, re-architect an application to work well with that uh, way of doing yeah. things. That's probably just good advice overall, whether we're talking about sure. React Native Web or like any of these server frameworks. Just if you're curious, absolutely tinker. Like that's one of the cool things about being a developer is like yeah. all of this stuff is just out there. Like you you could just yeah. try it. There's nothing stopping you. And it, yeah. maybe you're inspired to build something. Maybe not, but yeah, it's... Yeah, and, and, and the same is with uh, just to connect to the initial uh, topic that we started with is like, it's, it's again all about curiosity. If you want, those things are out there for you to, to play with, to, yeah, to investigate, to uh, learn. And sometimes they might not be exactly what you already know. And that's probably the problem with, you know, the tutorish thing of being ugly and foreign uh, uh, to, to you. But there, there's probably a reason behind it. And nowadays, mo- many things are open. And, if you put a little bit of time um, and effort, probably you can even level up a little bit. And I feel like that's what I've done when I went and reverse engineered uh, to source codes that were not necessarily uh, obvious or clear. In the yeah, we, we talked about some of the advantages of native, like this is one of the advantages of the web, like view source very much is a thing. And even if the output is a little messy in the case of Twitter, you can still get to the bottom of it. Like, whereas with native, that's all like, you know, good luck finding the source code for Twitter's iOS app, right? Like that's under like lock and key and they're (laughs) never going to divulge that stuff. So it's, it's a platform that absolutely inspires a lot of curiosity. So it's something to be excited to be a web developer. Yeah, and, and in fact, that was like what I even did for the previous version of Twitter.com at some point, like, many, many years ago, where I went and kind of reverse engineered that their minified JS because I wanted to had inline previews of images. And now I'm talking like 2011 or something, when yeah. there were still not inline previews of the images like today. And, and in the process of reverse engineering this minified code, I learned a lot of small uh, JavaScript features, like uh, like what is the comma uh, uh, operator for, or I, I, I would see a lot of uh, question, uh, uh, exclamation mark zero, which basically means true. It's like negating. That's how oh, the minifier trans, trans, uh, trans, uh, transpired, like these oh, things. That's like next level view sourcing. There were a lot of <laughs> things, like what is the tilde? Operator or in JavaScript, and so it could be fun. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what the tilde <laughs> operator does, so now I'm curious. Yeah. Well, cool, Stevie. This has been 
a lot of fun. Is there anything we missed? Anything else you want to point out to people before we head into the picks? No, I mean, probably just as we, since we talked about Twitter, in general, nothing really technical related uh, to what we, uh, nothing related to the technical things we talked about, but more more like of an approach of, uh, uh, you know, discussing those things on Twitter with people. Uh, people often have good intent, intentions when they tweet about things. So try to be nice, I guess. And if, I mean, it's really tempting to, to try to, to reply to every tweet you, you see about some controversial topic, but probably uh, that could be just a way for you to, a reason for you to write about what you know and share with everybody uh, so that you can clarify and maybe reach out to a broader audience. And lastly, it's I think it's good to be uh, to have a critical approach to things, and I always have it myself. But again, without knowledge, just being critical from the sentences brings nothing, right? So uh, pair that with knowledge, I think you you do great. That is a really good note to end on. I've I've certainly been guilty on, on both ends of that on on Twitter. So it's it's always good to remember there's. There's always people on the other end, and usually those people have good intentions. So always something good to keep in mind. Absolutely. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Well, cool. Let's head into the picks. And I can start us off. I'm going to pick Dune, the the movie which I just oh. saw a couple nights ago. And it was really, really good. It made me want to read it's it's based off a fantasy book series that's several, I think it's several decades old at this point, it got me wanting to read the the books because the movie is a two parter, like they make it very clear that it's part part one of two. And it's not short. It's like a I think it's like a two and a half hour movie, but it mm-hmm. it was ridiculously engrossing. Um, you get sucked right into this world and it's it's very, very entertaining. So that's going to be my pick for this week. Right. And Looking forward for the second episode. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen the first one as well. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's it's really, really Love. good. It makes you it makes you sad that the second one isn't just out already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have any picks for us today, Giuseppe? Yeah, I actually uh, picked Ultra.tf. It's a small uh, application, a multimedia smart canvas for your mind. It, it's, it was, it, it's built by Rauno uh, Freiberg, who is, uh, was a developer of yourself. It's basically um, a website where you can paste or drag stuff into the canvas and they appear in their best forms. So videos, notes, uh, images, 
uh, audio code, you name it. It's ultra.tf, U-L-T-R-A.tf. And it's really cool, I think. Awesome. Well, very cool. Sebi, last question for you. If people want to follow you and whatnot, where, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, uh, that will be Twitter, but uh, I'm afraid we'll have to link it uh, into the <laughs> show notes <laughs> yeah. because it's really hard to spell. Um, uh, <laughs> probably, I wanted to have the exclusive on my full name, but now I realize this is probably the best. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, I'm Giuseppe Gurgone, and um, I think, yeah, you'll yep, find a link uh, to it. It will be in the, in the show notes. So awesome. if you're interested, go ahead and scroll down and check that out. Well, thanks so much. This has been a, a fun chat. I've learned some stuff. So Thank you, too. Very much appreciate it. All right, everybody. Until next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.